0: Alright, we're in Luke chapter 10 today, and we're talking about the story of the Good Samaritan, as most of us know it by. Um, The story is really not about the Good Samaritan, though. The story is really about the guy who asked the question. Uh, For so many years, I've read this story, and I've just thought of it as this example for us that we're supposed to love everyone, And while that's certainly true, and that's certainly part of the point of the story, uh, this story is really about how we try to justify ourselves, how we try to justify ourselves. Now, justify is not a word we use a lot. Uh, Justify means to make right or to, to prove your rightness, your correctness. Now, I have three kiddos of my own, and the ones that can talk, Uh, all of them now Uh, they know how to justify themselves so if we call everyone hey we're all picking up the living room and let's just say for instance sweet little Ellie decides she doesn't want to help because Ellie never helps just kidding um sweet little Ellie hey Ellie we're, we're all cleaning up the living room do you know what her words are but Addie's not cleaning up right what is she doing she's justifying her own behavior. She's trying to prove that she's right because somehow Addie's wrong. Doesn't really make sense. But we all do this, right? We do this in marriage. Yeah? Yeah? Am I stepping on toes there? Uh, we do this in marriage, whenever we get into an argument, right? Whenever something uh, kind of goes south, or maybe we have a little disagreement, a little tip-tap, tip, tip, tip taf, whatever they call it, right? And And what happens is, as soon as we realize we're wrong, what do we do? We try to justify ourselves typically if we're not in a healthy place yeah but I know I'm wrong but you did this and you said that and you thought this and you you're right we just immediately turn back all the reasons as to why we're right and why they're wrong and maybe this is only me and my marriage maybe this is not yours and your marriage but every single one of us can think of examples of what is that we try to justify our own behavior. And there's much worse examples out there in politics and in all kinds of things of how people justify their wrongness, their evil, their sin. And the point of the story today, Jesus is going to a, tell a parable to expose this man that you can't justify yourself. That's why we're taking the Lord's Supper. That's why we're singing songs about what Jesus has done on the cross, because the point of today is this. Not one of us can justify ourselves. All of us are sinners who stand in need of somebody else making us right, because we are not right in and of ourselves. The only way for us to be made right is to trust in Jesus, That's the point of the story today. Yes, love everyone, but there's so much more to it. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 21. It says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. (laughs) Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, the lawyer, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, here's the key. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers and the lawyer said the one who showed him mercy and jesus said to him you go and do likewise let me pray god i thank you for your word this morning and i thank you for the truth of it god i pray this morning for every one of us in the room God, we too are like this lawyer asking the big question of life. How do, how do we inherit eternal life? And Jesus points us to the right place. It's to be perfect. And we know that if we can be perfect, that we'll live with you forever. But we all know in our heart of hearts, just like this lawyer, that we fall short, that we are not perfect, that we have messed up, that we are messed up. God, I pray this morning, God, that we would not try to justify ourselves because we are not capable, God, but that we would lean on you and what you've done to justify us, God, to make us right, to clean us up, to make us whole. And so we love you this morning. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's jump in to verse 21 and start talking about it. Verse 21, um, we, we get a little little pre-conversation uh, to when the lawyer comes, and and here's what it says. Look at verse 21. He says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and, I said, and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. Now, I want you to notice here, Jesus, it says, rejoiced in who? And who? The Holy Spirit. And, and praise to who? The Father. Okay? So there's not a whole lot of these in Scripture, but they are clear. There are, all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in this moment. The Trinity is not God reveals himself at different times in different ways. That's not, that's not true. That's not how the Bible talks about it. Because if that's so, then Jesus rejoices in himself and prays to himself. That makes no sense, right? He rejoices in the Holy Spirit and he prays to the Father as the Son of God. All three are present at the same time. Now, the Trinity is a, is a complicated thing. There's, there's no earthly metaphor or thing that we can kind of point to and go, hey, here it is, right? Because that's God. And if we could wrap our minds fully around it, then we're God, no, here in this moment, the Bible speaks of God as one, that he has one will, one essence, one purpose. But he also reveals himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus here rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, he prays to the Father. Now this is new in the, in the history of the Bible. The, the Old Testament, they don't reference God as Father. Why? Because that's heresy. That, that, that says, I am a son of God. I have the same essence as God. Jesus right here is saying something brand new. He's not just claiming to be part of God's creation. That's not it at all. He is saying, this is my father. I am his son. We are the same essence. This is a, a huge prayer. And this is ultimately why they're going to kill him. Because it says in John uh, that he was calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. Right? There's so much here we don't have time to go into. But he says, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. For this was your gracious will. Now, it's important for us to reconcile this this morning, okay? God's God's will is... (laughs) is hidden. God's purpose is not fully out there for everyone to see. It's revealed through his word, yes, and it's revealed by his spirit, yes, but, but Jesus says here, I I'm, I'm, thank you, God, that you have chosen to reveal it. We only know about God what God has chosen to reveal, right? We know nothing else unless God tells us. And so he says, I'm so thankful that you have revealed it to who? Who's he hidden it from? The wise, the understanding, and who has he revealed it to? Little children. Does he does that mean that we should all be not wise and under, we should be dumb little kids? Is that what he's saying? No. He's talking about their their character. The wise and the understanding think they know everything, think they can justify themselves. He says that's not who you've chosen to reveal it to. You've revealed it to little children who know they have nothing, are totally dependent, totally uh, in need. This is who God has chosen to reveal himself to. The only way for us to come to God is not through our, our wisdom, our understanding, not through our justification. The only way is to humble ourselves and say, I, I, I can't do this. I'm a little kid. I don't know how to do this. I can't make myself right. I can't fix what is broken. And Jesus says, this was your gracious will. The only way we can come to God is through grace. It's unmerited favor. It has nothing to do with what we have done. Look, he goes on, verse 22. And he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The Father and Son are separate Uh, persons in the trinity but they are fully aligned they have the same purpose and the only way we can know the father is through the son by the holy spirit you can't have one member of the trinity without the others Right? he is one and he says that the only way that they can know who you are is if they know me and so we're going we're to celebrate that this morning. There's so many pointers to this, that Jesus is our justification. There is no other way. We have no ability. We have no accomplishment. We have no anything, no, no pathway to rightness with God except through Jesus. And look at verse 23. He turns to his disciples. He says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For many prophets and kings desired what you, to see what you see and to hear what you hear, but they did not see it, and they did not hear it. Let's keep going, verse 25. So it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There's a lawyer who comes. Now, before we just start bashing lawyers in the room, sorry, Lauren, and maybe some of you others, I don't know. Uh, this is a, a religious lawyer. He is an expert in Jewish law, right? He is a, this is not, uh, I hate doing this, Lauren, but you, I, it just is what it is. It's not sleazy slimeball lawyer. This is, uh, <laughs> this is godly, religious, spiritual lawyer, okay? So get that picture out of your mind and get this one in your mind. This is a a God-fearing, knowledgeable man. And what does he come to do? He asked this really basic question, not a complicated question, but a very deep question of Jesus. What is his question? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? I think he asked this one because he wants to know, but I think He's also trying to expose Jesus, because if this is a really fundamental question. And if Jesus doesn't know, then it discredits Jesus. Or if Jesus says something wrong, then it discredits Jesus, right? And so he comes and he asks this really basic question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a general question, but it's also a very specific question. He's asking, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, this question is a question that for most of human history, there has been an assumption um, that we will live forever. This is not really true today. If you went and asked a random person on the street uh, who is not a Christian, most people would not have a concept or belief in eternity, really. They might think their dogs go there, and they might think that, that, that... Okay, there's something in the sky, maybe, but there's no real concept of eternal life, of fellowship with God, of God's glory on display. Most people today assume that when we die, it's it. We're annihilated and everything is over. But this man has a belief in eternal life and he wants to know, how do I get it? How do I inherit it? How do I... I deserve this. And so what does Jesus do? As Jesus does in so many evangelistic situations, he does not give an answer. What does he do? He asks a question, right? He doesn't respond with the answer. He asks another question. And he he asked him this: What is written in the law? How do you read it? He asked them this fundamental question of how do you summarize? I want to know where you're at. Before I tell you how to do this, how to get this, I want to know where you're at. And so Jesus puts the question back on the lawyer. What do you think it takes to please God? What do you think it takes to earn this? He's trying to get an understanding of this man's heart. And so the lawyer... Uh, as best as he could, he tries to summarize the Old Testament. Here's, here's the grand point of it, and what does he say in verse 27? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, did he answer correctly? Yes, right? Jesus is asked this same question at another point in his ministry. He gives the same answer. How do you summarize the Old Testament? Love God, love people. That's it. This is how we would sum it up. It's a direct quote from Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. And this man gives this answer. That if I love God and I love my neighbor, then I will receive eternal life. This is how they viewed it. It was very simple. Love God, love neighbor, and we'll have eternal life. Look at verse 28. Jesus looks at him, and he said, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And it seems so simple. Just love God, love people, and that's how I get eternal life? Okay, just I'm going to go do this. That's like, I don't know. It, it seems so simple, yet so impossible, right? It seems so simple. Just love God, love neighbor, love neighbor. But the truth of this moment is, is yes, the the man answered correctly, but he's not doing it. We know he's not doing it because he asked a follow-up question trying to justify himself. He knows when he said, when Jesus tells him, love God, love neighbor, he knows he does not measure up he's not loved God perfectly, he's not loved neighbor perfectly, and he feels guilt. I know this lawyer in this moment knows that he has fallen short. He knows that he has not measured up. And so what does he do? Just like sweet little Ellie, when I ask her to help clean up, he tries to justify himself, right? Right? He tries to to, to find a little loophole out of the situation to prove that he really has loved God and has loved neighbor. So look at it, verse 29. It says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? The lawyer feels guilt. He feels shame for his lack of love, for his falling short. And so he wants to justify himself. He wants to prove that he isn't guilty. He wants to prove that he really was in the right. And he wants everybody else that's listening to this conversation to see how great he is, to see how awesome he is, to present himself as this godly, learned man who loves God and loves neighbor. So he's not just proving it to himself, he's trying to prove it to everybody else. And he asked this question, so who, who is my neighbor? He's trying to get a handle on who is it that I really have to love. And now why does he ask that? Why does he ask that? Because he knows there are people he doesn't love. And he's hoping that Jesus will just give him some sort of out and say, yeah, just love your people. Just love those who love you. Just love those who are kind to you. He's hoping, hoping in his heart of hearts that somehow he can get out of this. But he's looking for justification for his sin, and he is looking in the wrong place. So Jesus replied, verse 30. If Jesus doesn't reply in a question, he replies in a story. And he, uh, this is a parable. A parable is a, is a story, a made-up story. Not real, but it's based in reality, and it's to tell a point. So let's read it again. Jesus tells this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. The journey from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 15 miles. It's a a one-day journey. Um, but it it says he went down that road because Jerusalem sits up high, Jericho sits below sea level. It's a treacherous road from there. There's all kinds of rocks and narrow passages, and there was all kinds of places for, for robbers and thieves to hide and ambush. It was not a place that he should have been by himself, and when Jesus starts on this story, they know oh yeah, you don't go Jerusalem to Jericho by yourself. Just like you know, I don't go to that neighborhood after dark. I don't go to that town at this time of year. Right? We, we understand those cultural things, and, and they're going, this priest, he's going by himself? Oh no, right? They've already sensed uh, the tension in the story because they certainly had had somebody in their life that had done this. And as the lawyer had predicted, what happened? Verse 30. He fell among robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. He's all alone. He's been beat up. And if no one comes along, he's going to die there. Now, there's no hope in this story, but Jesus tells it for more. Look at verse 31. It says, now, by chance... A priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Thankfully, there's a priest, right? Another good, godly, outwardly righteous man. And Man, just thank God, there's there's a good guy coming by, right? He's coming down this road. Priests, they had had all the outward uh, pictures of what it meant to be godly. And priests knew God's word that said that they were to show mercy to those who were in trouble. And they were to help their, their friends and their neighbors. And they were to offer aid in this kind of situation. If he can't plead ignorance, this priest knows. And he comes along and what happens? It says, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He sidesteps the man and he continued on his way. Why? If he's so good and so godly, why wouldn't he live out his faith in this moment? I think for a number of reasons. One, nobody saw him. He's by himself. He gets no credit if he does this in front of other people. But he also gets no blame if he doesn't do this. And he saw this as a win-win. Nobody sees this. I'm choosing myself. He passed by on the other side. But that's not it. 32. I'm pretending like you've never heard this story, okay? I know most of you have heard this story a lot of times. Verse 32. A Levite when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. A Levite is the same class of people as the priest, a good, godly, outwardly righteous man. And instead of rendering aid, instead of showing mercy and extending love, what does he do? He passes by on the other side. No one was there to blame him, but no one was there to praise him. And so what did he do? He chose his own way. Verse 33. It sounds like good news to us because we read Good Samaritan as like, oh, this is the the best class of people. But look at it, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. We've talked about it week after week. The Jews hated Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated Jews. They were openly hostile to each other. They were openly violent and aggressive towards each other. And this priest, who is a Jew who is hurting, is being passed by by a Samaritan who hates his people. The the lawyers listening to this going, well, if the, the other guy stepped to the side, surely the Samaritan did, or maybe he finished him off. But that's not the story. What does it say? That when he saw him, he had compassion. We talked about this last week, that when Jesus saw the crowds, what did he have? Compassion. When he saw them without a shepherd, he had compassion. He had this moment in his heart where he said, that person needs help. He was moved. This is what we talked about last week, that we are meant to be moved by compassion. And we see these outwardly righteous move to the side. (laughs) And we see the hated Samaritan now moved with compassion and step in and do something. It says, verse 34, He went to him. He bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him, stayed the night. The next day he took out two denarii, a lot of money. He gave them to the innkeeper, told him to take care of him, and said, if you spend more, I'll pay it when I come back. This man was not just, did not just have a feeling No, he was moved to action, and he put it all on the line to help this man. What a contrast for this lawyer. He's just trying to ask a simple question, and now Jesus has gone on and on about his hated Samaritans. And Jesus asks him as he finishes this story, he says, Which of these three, this is verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus drives home this point Who is our neighbor? Who is your neighbor? And the lawyer is backed into a corner. And I don't think he really gets it because he won't even say the Samaritan. What does he say? He says, the one who showed him mercy. The lawyer knows the truth, but he doesn't like the truth. He knows the reality, but he doesn't like it. That the Samaritan who he hates is the one who has proven to be a neighbor more than the outwardly righteous g- Levites and priests. And what is Jesus saying? Who is my neighbor? What's the answer? Everyone. There is no one excluded from this. We are called to love and show mercy to everyone. Okay, so let's, let's pull back. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. What does this lawyer you know at this point? I have not loved perfectly I have not loved God perfectly, and I have not loved my neighbor perfectly. He knows, without a doubt, in this moment, that he can't go and do likewise. He's tried, and he's fallen short. He's, he's attempted it, but he cannot do it. And no matter how much language he's used to try to justify his own hate, he realizes he's wrong. He realizes that he has fallen short. He cannot justify himself. And so what's the point for us? Yes, love everyone. Yes. Everyone is our neighbor. It doesn't matter their skin color. It doesn't matter their, their race. It doesn't matter their, their, their background, their, their money status. It doesn't matter any of that. We are called to love and extend compassion to everyone. And that's a worthy point that can be preached. But the point today for us is that we cannot justify ourselves. That we too have fallen short That every single one of us is a sinner who needs grace. And there's nothing, there's no words we can use, there's no language we can talk ourselves out of to show that actually I am right, and God, you're the one that's wrong. No, no, the point of today is this, that we need a justification that comes from somewhere else. We need Jesus' justification of us And this is what Jesus did on the cross when he died in our place. He's not just dying a symbolic death of of example or something. No, he bore our sin on his body. He, He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus lived a perfect life. And when he died on the cross and he took our death that we deserved, he offers to give us rightness. We don't have to prove it. We don't have to earn it. He offers it as a gift of grace. And that's the point of the story today. Now, I did not plan to preach this on the day we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, but I can't help to see the connection. This celebrating the Lord's Supper, which we're about to do, is a very practical way for us to respond. Because we need to remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for us. And that's the only way we can be made right with God.